Good evening, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of the Stunt Show, live from Yeshiva University's 8th Annual Champions Gate Leadership Conference in Orlando, Florida. I am Daniel Gordon, son, husband, and one quarter of the amazing Stunt Show team here on the Nachum Siegel Network, and you can find the Stunt Show here every Thursday night at 8 p.m., and as part of this amazing team, one quarter of the time, you can find me, as I hope to bring you a small taste of the amazing life God has blessed me with, the inspiration I draw from the always entertaining world of sports, and of course, country music. If during or after the show you realize that you'd like more Daniel Gordon or have questions or comments for me or for our guests, please email me at daniel at nachamsegel.com. Seriously, I say this every month, but it's true. Your feedback and comments about the show are welcomed and appreciated, and I hope this show will gain its inspiration and content from you, the listeners. In honor of National Scrabble Week, yes, that actually exists, we were supposed to be playing Scrabble on tonight's show, for those of you who heard on Facebook, but unfortunately... My two guests tonight, Rabbi Ari Siegel and Rabbi Dr. Aaron Siegel, after you hear Rabbi Dr. Aaron Siegel's bar, you're going to be like, how could that guy not play Scrabble? Um, they don't know how to play Scrabble. Seriously, they have no clue how to play Scrabble. I know. <laughs> pretty ridiculous. That's them laughing in the background. Now, let me just give you a little background on them, um, and then we're going to get into discussing why they don't know what Scrabble is. Uh, Rabbi Ari Siegel uh, serves as the head of school at Shalhevet High School in Los Angeles, California. Before coming to Los Angeles, he spent seven years at the Robert M. Barron Academy in Houston, Texas as principal and head of school. He holds an MBA from the... Goizueta. Goizueta. That is ridiculous. Business School at Emory University and an MSW and Communal Organization from Yeshiva University's Wurzweiler School of Social Work. He and his wife, Atara, have four wonderful daughters. Most importantly, Ari Siegel got his start as my youth director in KJ. And on a personal note, I have known Rabbi Siegel for over 15 years and consider him not only... I am saying this truthfully, a close friend, but a mentor and a role model. It's, uh, because, it's because after you all hear uh, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Siegel's bio, you'll say, I couldn't possibly live up to anything that he <laughs> has achieved in his life. So Rabbi Dr. Aaron Siegel is Assistant <laughs> Professor of Philosophy, newly appointed Assistant Professor of Philosophy at Yeshiva College. Um, he has published articles and lectured widely on topics in metaphysics. We're going to learn what that is. Philosophy of religion, Jewish philosophy, and Jewish law, and received his PhD in philosophy from the University of Notre Dame. Uh, anybody who know who can sing the Notre Dame, can you sing the song? Cheer, cheer for old Carrot Top. That was my father's uh, when he ran for student council. We'll get that. Let, let, let's That's just the book. Doctor Siegel studied under the direction of Rav Aaron Lichtenstein in Akola Gavaha Yeshivat Haratzion, and will be receiving smicha from the chief rabbin of Israel. Welcome Ari and Aaron to the show. How are you Thank guys you. doing tonight? I'm stuffed. Just had a great dinner. A great dinner. Barbecue. Now, you lived in Texas. Yeah. Was that real barbecue? You know what we had downstairs? Yeah. No. That was American-style barbecue. Yeah, that is, that's New imitation. I was about to say cheap. It's not cheap. It was delicious <laughs> imitation, but it's not Texas barbecue. It's not Texas barbecue. And yeah. uh, What is a Texas barbecue? It's just a little bit of heat. It's some sweetness. Iron, you got to put the microphone. They didn't teach him that in <laughs> any of the it's school not metaphysics. I, I thought metaphysics was like, you know... Whatever. Yeah, a little heat, a little sweetness, some smokiness. None of that was there. It was more just some regular standard bar, but delicious. Delicious. And, and, and Aaron, one thing that we didn't get in your bio, which I would like to just cover at the beginning, what did you write your dissertation on or defend your dissertation on? It's called uh, Human-Inspired Metaphysics. So that kind of gives it away. It's about metaphysics. <laughs> what is metaphysics? For all those. Uh, what is metaphysics? I won't be able to really explain that, but... Uh, <laughs> A one-liner is it's supposed to be about the ultimate nature of reality um, in its most, ab, you know, abstract features, something like that. So that's that's very helpful, I assume, to most of you. Uh, 
So for those of you listening at home, I, I could not be standing at, and, and I love them dearly. They are the sixth and seventh children of their family, but I cannot be standing at staring at two like more different people. So uh, Rabbi Siegel is amazing, and he just got me, <laughs> but I don't think he could spell metaphysics. This is not true. This is not true. It's Please. very offensive, by it the is, way. It is deeply offensive. It's offensive. I take offense. Yeah. So, so, so when you wrote your dissertation, what, what did that like? What was it? Metaphysics, whatever. Like, what was it about? <laughs> so it's about uh, causation, the nature of causation, where, you know, a billiard ball, it's another billiard ball. That's an instance of one thing causing another, one event causing another. So it's about the nature of that. That's one of the things I discuss. Um, discuss the nature of laws of nature. That's another metaphysical topic. Uh-huh. And we think there are some laws by which uh, nature operates, some of them maybe even fundamental laws. Um, the question is, what is what does it amount to to say something's a law of nature? So it's, it's about that too, and it's about a bunch of other things. Very interesting. All of which are inspired by David Hume, his work. Copies of his right. dissertation will be on sale at <laughs> many books <laughs> bookstores near you. you read my extensive acknowledgement to my brother. Yeah, in the, uh, that's the a point of contention <laughs> between us. Uh, so 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 let's get back to some serious talk. Uh, that is Scrabble. So you guys grew up <laughs> in a Jewish home. And you never played Scrabble. You literally wrote a, you could probably tell us, like, why each letter goes next to each letter as you explain, like, with the billiards ball. Um, but you guys never played Scrabble? No. That's true. I don't even know if we own Scrabble. I, we, well, we probably, no, we did. In our big, in our toy That's uh, closet true. downstairs. Who knows what was going on in there? There was a box that said Scrabble, just missing a lot of pieces. What were the <laughs> games, what were the games of choice in the Seagull home? Uh, I play, I remember Stratego. Crazy Eights. Grandma. I, oh, with Grandma Gertrude. Yeah. Oh, she Stratego was great. is a great game. Are you one of those guys, though, who puts the, 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 the flag always the, by the water? No. In the oh. middle. And you think I'd tell you on, on air in case? <laughs> what if I have to play somebody? What if we have to play, you know? To change things up. We, we kind of, like, just invented stupid games in our house. And we, we, had, we didn't really play, like, the standard games. I'm sure we did. We just don't who remember did? right now. You think? Okay, I don't remember any of it. Wow. Um, so no Scrabble. I was. Actually, I mean, I had all these questions prepared for about Scrabble. I was going to talk about. For those of you listening out there, um, you know, we all know that the official way to take score on Shabbos of Scrabble mm. is in a book. Right. You could use. Aaron could use like a ten thousand page book on uh, metaphysics, and you and I could use like a Harry Potter novel. Right. Um, so so as you flip through, so one of the things that comes up a lot is competition. It's friendly competition, and people move. I mean, I would never do this, but I've been. You know, I've seen people move their score marker. Further in the book, wow. is that something that would have taken place in the Seagull home? Or you guys were always honest players? Never. That would not have. It actually would not yeah, have really taken guys, place. Uh, straight I, up honesty. I don't know if there was that was like this idea of being honest. I just you just didn't do that. That wasn't <laughs> something that was done in our house. I could see the Gordon family maybe <laughs> having a more sophisticated version of that card moving trick. I mean, before you and I were, were, were discussing, you guys told me about a game that you guys invented. <laughs> Yeah. Which well, there were two. There were two yeah. games. Okay, so so you've invented two games. So we want to allow the world to now uh, uh, learn from and participate in such amazing Shabbos activity. Um, what were those two games? We'll, we'll, we'll let you each describe one. So uh, you the, do the, the feet game. You could do that one. I think both of them are going to make us sound pretty primitive. But go ahead. But all right, you start. <laughs> well, I invented Hibachi, but okay. Hibachu. I don't think you invented Hibachu. I did. <laughs> I don't think. Okay. You anyway, uh, so uh, one of them was was called uh, the foot game. That should pretty much also give away what it was. Uh, we would lie on a couch. Um, each of us would have our head on one of the 
the sides, and then we would put our feet up against the other feet, and then uh, our knees would be raised in the beginning, and we would each have to attempt to push, exert as much force as we could with our feet so that the other uh, brother would then be forced to sort of retract right. the legs to the point that the knees were in the in his face. And was this this a is a very sophisticated game, as you can tell. <laughs> was this a Shabbos-only activity, or this was like all week? Well, we all didn't really have time during the week. Yeah. I was usually <laughs> getting in trouble in our yeah, I was was study. Right, I was usually working. Yeah. Um, and what was the other game? The other game was Hibachu. I'm almost positive my older brother Michael invented it, so I'm not even trying to steal credit. I know that's infuriating to Aaron right now that I'm not giving him credit on national radio. But Hibachu was, and I don't think we played it on Shabbos because I'm not sure we used uh, would touch a tape measure on Shabbos. You couldn't use it. It's a cliche malachtalaser for those of you listening. Um, you would tr- take a tape measure and you try to get it to stand a metallic one as high as you possibly could only moving one or two inches at a time. You weren't allowed to, like, kind of throw until it up. Until it fell over. Until it clicked and fell over. And you would just, you'd have to find, like, a space, the right angle, and we would just compete, what is we would compete to see who could get the highest. And the name Habachu. Habachu. <laughs> this will be a little insight into Aaron and myself. We're both very concrete people, so if you ask us to think of something imaginary, it will likely be the thing that is staring right in front of us. So I think we were probably looking at a Habachi. When we named the game, <laughs> and we called it Habachu. This is it was kind of all for that, but I think I named it. Oh, do you? Yeah, because it was when Michael and Elise actually were moving our brother, who already just attributed the foundation that, of that game. Um, I actually came up with the game when we were helping him move. Ari wasn't there, but uh, so I'm less imaginative even than Ari. Who, uh, is not so imaginative, but uh, I take the cake. In failure to be imaginative. Well, we just heard about pushing to fail at the conference, so that's certainly exactly. uh, that right. is actually that's what this game is about. <laughs> that's what the Getting game is, is about. For those of you who don't know what I'm referencing, which is probably all of you, because we just experienced it like five uh, about a half hour ago. So at this conference, we actually uh, Yeshiva University is hosting uh, the Eli Talks from Avichai, and the Eli Talks are uh, Jewish TED Talks. Uh, you can find them on uh, YouTube. Just search Eli and uh, Rabbi Josh Joseph. Uh, the senior vice president spoke about uh, pushing to fail. So I think Abachu is an example of that because you're pushing as far as you can until you actually do fail, and then you get right back up and do it all again. That's how you learn. The way you learn to be great is by pushing towards the edge of failure right there. And is that is that something that you teach as a head of school at Shal Habit? I actually loved uh, Josh's message. I think that we don't do that enough in our communities. There's a lot of fear of failure, and so we don't try new things because we think, oh, my gosh, what are people going to say? If the, whether it's a school, a shul, and, and you know, obviously in your personal life that happens. But I think he was – I was hearing him more addressing the broader communal need to be willing to fail and to demonstrate for our kids and our community that you can fail and that's okay. Just get back up and try it again or try something new. But the challenge is – I mean, I think his, his call to action at the end, which is something um, that really struck me, is how do you develop a structure that enables failure? Because you can't just, let's say, lose a million dollars – you know, he actually did that one day. But you can't actually lose a you know, significant portion of something, or you can't lose days or a whole curriculum, you know, development things are just by – so you have to build a structure and then enable that structure to overcome the failure if it, in fact, occurs. That's very metaphysical of me. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I was just talking about – No, it's not. <laughs> um, I'm going to demur. <laughs> no, you mean how do you do that? Yeah, it's, it's easy to say it. How do you get it exactly. done? Well, I think right. I think it's the culture we create in our families and our like you know. And I don't do a great job of this in my family. I do a much better job of it in my 
work life, but you tell your faculty and your staff, like, it's okay to fail. You can try something that didn't work. If you're going to kill people over things not working, so they're not going to try something new again. But if you demonstrate that you're will, you know, there's a willingness to allow things to be, you know, new things to be tried and to fail. So I think at the end of the day, that's going to create that that kind of environment where you do that. I don't know what our room. Right. No, I think his point was uh, a good one in terms of you sort of start at the personal level. I mean, you're you're saying he was speaking generally to the. Uh, the communal situation, um, and that I think may have been his, his aim, but he also pointed out that creating that culture starts at the, the very individual level, the familial level. Um, that's where you can sort of get people to realize uh, that, that failure is okay, and then I don't know if it's a short-term uh, sort of you know, achievement, something that could be uh, attained in the next five, ten years, but if you start doing that now, then... Uh, Several years down the line, you'll have the kind of people who will be willing to make those, take those risks, even in the uh, the communal level, which I thought was a good point he was making. And I and I really appreciated his comment, actually a very timely one, the one about Tishabov, which which you know we, we we learned the Medrash growing up, but about the fact that on the same day the base of Medrash was destroyed, Mashiach was born. That certainly is appropriate um, at this time of year, uh, which I correctly. I would like to point out, new were the Shiva uh, Yeah, exactly. And I'm the only rabbi not in this little uh, triumvirate over here. So that's pretty impressive. Um, but no, but I think it's an important lesson and, uh, and one that I think we can all take with us. I, that leads me actually to something else that I wanted to discuss with you, and that was sports. Mm. So we were talking about that before. It's something we cover a lot on this show and really the benefits of sports. Uh, you know, kind of the upside down. Make you guys com- make yourselves comfortable, by the way. Um, the the benefits, the challenges. They're practicing they're, they're, the foot game. <laughs> they're practicing the foot game, sitting right here. It's an awkward angle. This is like foot game 2.0. Um, but uh, interesting. Uh, so so one of the things that we talk about all the time is what lessons we can learn from sports. So we learn all things about teamwork and and failure is certainly a good one. You know, Josh quoted Michael Jordan. Um, and since you're from LA, Ari, I would like to actually tell a story. Um, about my life, I try to give people insight into my life. One, uh, when I play in the JCC Maccabi game, it's actually going on now. So I never got to play in Israel, but I was actually playing in Boston, Massachusetts, and I represented the 92nd Street Y on the upper side of Manhattan, and we were playing in the championship game against the team from LA. Now I played point guard, I was like 5'6, the point guard on that team was like 6'3. They moved the game into the main Brandeis gym, so there's like thousands of people there, and the whole gym at the opening tip is cheering, beat LA. Beat, you get that a lot, right? Yeah, sure. Beat L.A., beat L.A. And so the gym's going crazy. I'm all pumped up. My list going to be amazing. They win the opening tip right to the guy, and I'm under the basket. The guy dunks over mm. me, and the crowd went silent. You, that, that, that reminds you of your games. Is that correct? <laughs> you mean in our Jordan Jammer in our basement? <laughs> We had, we had one of those small little baskets on the downstairs that we used to play. You would play on your knees. Uh, my friends and I would try to. Is that true? I think so, yeah. That was nice of me. How, how, and I think it was more to show. Six years? Five years? Six years. years. Six, five? Six? Yeah. Six years. Six years. Wow. Yeah. Seems like just yesterday. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I'm but not yeah. sure. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. Was there a question? So, what is, a- no, so, my, <laughs> so my question is. What do you take away from the uh, the the wide world of sports that you think our audience can 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 appreciate? I mean, Ari, you and I have played many um, a basketball game before. You certainly taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you taught me about Midos. We invented uh, all kinds of games, and you taught me uh, about being a good team and things like that. So, 
I guess to, to, to our listeners out there, if you could give them one lesson from the Waterloo Sports, we try to cover it each, each month. So my lesson would be don't think that you're going to beat L.A. if you're 5'6 and they're 6'3. You mean there's cover. certain limits. Yeah, there's certain limits to your, to your abilities. Um, but uh, you know, what would your lesson be? I guess we'll start with you, uh, Rabbi Ari Siegel. Put him on the spot. Gosh, I don't. It's that's a rough one. I don't. You know, I uh, I spent a lot of years also coaching when I was at Ramaz. Coached your brother for a few years. And Aaron, it's your turn to. Uh... <laughs> Truth is, most of my education about sports really comes from Ari. So, I don't know. It'd be hard for me to answer that question um, without Ari sort of feeding me an answer. Do you want to feed me an answer? Well, I'll tell you this. Here's what I'll say. The the best lesson I ever got in sports was from a guy named Jeremy Bandler. He lived up the street from us. Um, and he's, uh, I think he works for Hillel now. He's like, uh, in, he's in development internationally, something for Hillel. But he, uh, he was a legendary basketball player in our school growing up. And I remember him saying to me, we were getting into a car at his house. They were the first ones to have a Honda. That's something I remember about the Bandlers. They had two Honda Accords before anyone had a Japanese car. And we were getting into the car. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> anything about, you know, U.S. history or whatever, but I can remember this. And he said to me, be really good at whatever it is you're great at and, like, make that your thing. So if you're great at defense, become the best defensive player you possibly can be, and the coach just won't be able to sit you down. And that was it. I, I happen to be awful on offense. I mean, just atrocious for people who know me. You took the words right out of my mouth. Um, if uh, there are a number of people who are listening, I'm sure all the listeners uh, who know my free throw shooting percentage know it was just atrocious. But I was I, – I really focused on defense, and I think that's a great message for people, kids, adults. You know, uh, it's the hedgehog concept. I know – that uh, good to great has become a little passe and overdone. But Jim Collins talks about businesses that make themselves a hedgehog, which is just they're really good at one thing, succeed rather than trying to be the jack of all trades. So that's something, a lesson I would learn uh, or suggest we learn from sports. Aaron is nodding his head in agreement because that was fed to him. Exactly. That was really Aaron speaking, by the way. <laughs> um, but I think that's also interesting because I think that's another lesson from life, uh, from sports that carries over to life. And that is find something. I mean, when I was in the presidential fellowship at YU, we read Good to Great, and that was certainly the point. That and the bus thing that everyone quotes. Those are like two uh-huh. things. In the get book. the everyone right people. Quotes, get the people off the bus and the right people on the bus. But, uh, you know, that's something that can come to life, and that is find what you're good at and try to use it in a way that will benefit, at least I try, to benefit the world as well. It's not just you're good at basketball, but what can you do to basketball to contribute to the world? And I think that's what we, what we celebrate here um, at Champions Gate. Yeah. No, no, no follow-up comments. And no, so, yeah, I, that's a, that. I do think that that's a, a big component. I think so. People often have this mis—I don't know—misconception that they should work around their weaknesses and kind of like just get incrementally better at them. I think that's a big mistake that people—a trap that people fall into. I think you identify what it is you're great at and that you love to do, and do it. If you do it on behalf of the Jewish people, like you're doing, or the you're other doing. people, or I'm doing, or our government's doing, or lots of people are doing, then that's that's you know. Even more so. <laughs> Couldn't agree more, Ari. <laughs> I don't even know where to go from here. Um, so, so uh, Rabbi Dr. Siegel, you are coming to Yeshiva University um, to be a assistant professor of philosophy. Um, and w- are you going to be teaching metaphysics? That's a ser- I will be, yes. In so, fact, this coming semester, I'll be teaching metaphysics. It's just a course called metaphysics. Yes, it's even. It was in the catalog even before I came. It was even taught there before I came. Is that a doctor? Yeah, it's a standard Shatt's course. Special? Is that a doctor? I, I think yeah. Doctor Schatz does give that at Stern College. Really? Yeah. So you're the very and and is it are for those you, who can't see? Doctor Schatz is, is sitting right here. here. Yeah. We actually uh, we just got a new idea. The idea is going to be that we are going since we can only tolerate one philosopher at a time. <laughs> um, 
Rabbi, uh, Aaron Siegel's going to have to cut out early, so we're actually going to have Dr. Schatz, if he's willing, to come on um, and uh, and try to... Uh, <laughs> I think I think that Ari Siegel is very intimidated now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Schatz, we were actually co-panelists uh, this past. Uh, sh- when were we? Shavuos at uh, the Young Israel Century City. And tomorrow. True. Okay. I will be co-panelist with Dr. Schatz. Speaking uh, about intimidating. Speaking what? about the meaning of suffering. Yeah. Wow. That's a heavy topic. I, I knew that was coming. I yeah. shouldn't have set you up for that because I was like going to say. And what are you guys going to say? Well, the meaning of suffering is. It's complicated. You should come tomorrow. We definitely tune in tomorrow. I believe actually all the audios will be uh, up on the internet. Oh, really? Um, afterwards, we're going to try to do that. That's what I've been told. Um, but anyway, so so is this your first time teaching, or like how does that work? You, you defended your dissertation and uh, no, I taught in Notre Dame actually. Um, wow. Yeah, a little different Notre Dame and Yeshiva University. I assume so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I was a student at Yeshiva, so I uh, I kind of know already that it's different. Um, and what made you study at Notre Dame? I was interested in metaphysics and philosophy of religion, uh, and Notre Dame is very strong in both of those fields. Um, there were two people there I wanted to work with, Peter Van Inwagen and Alvin Plantiga, uh, two uh, well-known philosophers. That is, philosophers are well-known to other philosophers. Um, <laughs> Although Alvin Plantinga is, I think, well-known even to some non-philosophers. I don't think the, na- the last name Siegel, and I think Schatz also pairs in comparison to those. I don't even know. <laughs> I was trying to figure out all the letters in those two names. I couldn't even... In the, in the last name. Right. If you'd have let me use those for Scrabble, I might have played. <laughs> and you would have won. And, and so, so, so you said you studied at Yeshiva, and then you went to Notre Dame. What was it like religiously being a Jew at Notre Dame and possibly coming back... And now I guess my follow-up right. question is to prepare you is going to be and now bringing that back to Yeshiva, I think, is an interesting. Right. That's no, a fantastic question. Um, well, so I didn't go straight from Yeshiva, Yeshiva College, that is, uh, to Notre Dame. I first learned in uh, Yeshiva Haratzion for three years after college. Um, so so I guess it was even of more drastic. of a jolt. Yeah, more of a, a contrast. Um, but it's, it's not as though I'd forgotten what it was like at Yeshiva College. Um, so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't terribly... Uh, drastic, the, the sort of change. Um, but it certainly was eye-opening. I mean, it exposed me uh, to lots of people, uh, kinds of people I'd never been exposed to before, at least personally, in my whole life. Until that point, pretty much, I was in, uh, you know, just Jewish schools. Um, and, uh, you know, we did go to, like, the district camp or whatever. The, uh, the rec center. <laughs> the rec center, uh, as Ari correctly remembers. Um, but uh, you know, sort of a, for a sustained period of time, engaging with them um, intellectually and otherwise, that was it was certainly eye-opening and very uh, enlightening. And so, I hope to bring that you know some of what I got there back to to uh, Yeshiva College. Um, there's a uh, Notre Dame is is not just a non-Jewish place, but uh, as I'm sure all of you uh, know, uh, it's a, a Catholic institution. Um, and its Catholic identity is is pretty uh, strong, actually, uh, compared to some other uh, Catholic schools. Even just the scenes in Rudy's show, you know. Right, yeah. exactly. That was the first thing we did when we got there, actually. My wife and I, I and I rented Rudy um, just so that we could feel at home. Um, and so then I tried it out for the football team. That didn't work. I look like Rudy. I do. I, I would be the Rudy if I had made it. They'd all turn their, you know, they'd put their, this one's for Siegel. This one's Siegel. <laughs> Did you yeah. did you paint the helmets? <laughs> With the gold, you mean? Yeah, the gold. 
Yeah, that was how I made money on the side. Otherwise, <laughs> we wouldn't have survived. <laughs> or you pocketed the gold that goes on the side. A little bit for me, a little bit for them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so that, that sort of strong religious identity, um, but non-Jewish, was also uh, very interesting and important uh, for me to, uh, to engage with. Um, and I think it's, it's going to be helpful as I uh, start my new position at YU. Um, hopefully the, the students will get some of that. You know, I, I'm now familiar with some Christian philosophers that I otherwise wouldn't have been. And uh, Ari, I know that you just finished your uh, MBA from... Goizueta. Yeah, I was going to say beef gyoza. That's the condition of Chinese. <laughs> Roberto Goizueta was the president of Coke when they introduced New Coke, the disaster. You were probably too young to remember that. But he took responsibility for it and apologized, and he's known as an incredible leader. So he, Coke has a very close relationship with Emory University. It's in Atlanta. And so, and so did you find also that you were exposed in your classes to kind of that different outside, because you also went to yeshiva. Yeah. Um, and then, and, and how has that contributed back to running a modern Orthodox Jewish day school? So I, I loved my time at yeshiva. Um, and when I was considering looking for some sort of program in management, you know, I was running this $5 million business. Uh, Ira Mitzner actually spoke at the Eli talk today about the need to teach leaders about business management. Uh, so I felt like I needed to go for some kind of management degree. I was looking at nonprofit management uh, and also within the Jewish world, maybe getting a degree, something related. You know, I have a degree from Wurzweiler in communal management, communal organization. But I felt like I needed to get out of the that kind of do- the four walls of the Jewish community and learn from other people outside, both outside the nonprofit world, outside the Jewish world. And I loved it. I mean, my classmates from Goizueta, some of them are uh, – they're just – some of them are vice presidents of Fortune 500 country, you know, companies, major senior vice presidents of banks, um, doctors who are building up their own uh, practices and hospitals. And, I mean, just people from all over all different walks of life. And uh, you just learn a tremendous amount from them. I, I'm not saying I, I just had – I, I didn't have a, a perception of the non-Jewish world um, until I really engaged with the people at Goizueta and just found them to be incredibly thoughtful and, and – bright and motivated and it was just it was very good for me to see that and I brought a lot of that back just an openness to to others um, I brought it back to my work so you certainly both of those comments uh, inspire me because actually since my last show um, last month I was actually admitted to the uh, part-time MBA program at NYU at night mm, so I have also thank you very much but I have also always been kind of in that uh, Benji Hoffer everybody Benji Hoffer uh, in the house from uh, where's it, Springfield? Yeah. Important note about Benji Hoffer: he will probably dominate the three-on-three basketball tournament. He's on my team. Uh, <laughs> obviously, did that surprise you? That like the one guy who's like in good shape at the whole conference is on Ari's team. <laughs> he was my first sports counselor at Camp Moed. Really? I, I, I roomed with him for one night. That's how yeah, I remember ben, him. He was amazing. He went to he was a he went to JC was decent in JC supposedly, and then apparently he grew like four inches in Israel while he was there for the year, and also was just jumping at. Like just started, he was just amazing, and he played for YU for a while. And he was a tutor at Primetime Tutors. Primetime Tutors. That <laughs> Which, was another business no. of mine. <laughs> that was before business school, not as successful. Um, With Avery Joel. Avery Joel was my that partner. That is true. Um, and, uh, but anyway, as I was saying, so I got, the, I got the acceptance letter, and I was so excited. I'm really like, oh, congratulations, Dan, you've been admitted. And then they say that there are three different orientations that you have to go to, mandatory orientations. Mm. The first one is the night of the first night of Sukkis. And then there's Shabbos and Sunday. So I, I went to President Joel, um, who is my boss, and I was telling him, I thanked him for writing me a letter, a letter of recommendation. I said, I'm really nervous about being exposed um, to this you know, 
this is my first time out. I don't even have to take vacation days for Yontif. And, uh, and he said, Daniel, you know, I have all of these silly catchphrases. And one of them that you always hear me say is that you don't need to make a statement. You don't need to stick out and make all these statements as, as many people often do. You need to be a statement. And that, um, and that certainly is something that I think I, you, you definitely experienced it in Notre Dame, I assume, Aaron. It's just like that, that no matter what you do, you represent something without standing up and saying, oh, as a Jewish person or as an Orthodox Jew or as what, you know, whatever you want to categorize yourself, I represent something, but rather who you are rubs off on people and, 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 and imparts value on them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I think sometimes you might be a little too self-conscious about that, um, as though everyone thinks uh, the Orthodox Jew is so much different. Um, and so, you know, they're always viewing whatever we do as though it's an expression of Orthodox Judaism. Um, I think there's such variation out there among people that they probably think, you know, we're as different from they are as some other, um, you know, one of their friends is as different, uh, from, from them. Um, but no, I do think that, it, you know, it can often express itself in, in, in great ways, uh, without saying anything at all. You know, if you, if you do something that is strongly associated with your Orthodox Judaism, uh, then that can make an, an unbelievable impression. Or the other way. I mean, the, as we've always, every time you go on a class trip and you go to modern Orthodox school, they say, you know, make sure that you, you know, Make a kid a Hashem and all those things. I think we put the pressure on ourselves, but I think right. that's that's, uh, that's welcome. Um, so we are actually going to bid farewell to uh, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Siegel. He is going to uh, participate um, back in the conference, but stay tuned. We still have another half hour here with uh, Rabbi Aaron Siegel. This is when all the fun starts, all the Daniel Gordon childhood <laughs> stories come out. Okay. This is actually the childhood of Daniel Gordon half hour. Um, but uh, Rabbi Dr. Siegel, I want to uh, thank you, and I want to wish you much luck in your uh, new position at Yeshiva. Um, and uh, you should continue to uh, to be successful in your studies of metaphysics, whatever that is. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me here. Uh, anytime, and uh, good luck tomorrow with the session. Again, that was uh, Rabbi Dr. Aaron Siegel. Uh, he is now the, uh, an assistant professor of philosophy at Yeshiva, um, Yeshiva College, uh, and uh, we are still joined by his uh, older brother, Rabbi Ari Siegel. Um, so, Rabbi Siegel, you've known me. I, I wrote down some of the things that I would like to try to you know give people some... Some, some perspective on me because one of the things I, I appreciate about my show is that I like people to get to know me. They, they can email me again, Daniel at com. uh, see people on the street, uh, and they come to me, oh, you're the host of that show. It actually does happen. Really? Oh, you won that cooking competition. That happened. You won the Papa Shot competition. That happened. All of those things actually did happen. Um, and by the way, because Rabbi, uh, and Rabbi Siegel never, uh, played Scrabble, I actually won that competition. You technically won that. Yes. So I'm three for three. Um, but, there, there, there was a side of me, and I actually want to delve into how it was uh, that that you were able to educate me. Um, there was a side of me that was not that pretty when it came to sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when I was a child, I was very competitive. Yeah. Um, do you remember that? That was not so pleasant. Yeah. But 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 it taught you how to be an educator. Taught. Yeah, I remember it vividly, actually. You do. And uh, we just to, just to give everybody some perspective. When I was a child, we used to play a game, another invented child's game called hawker. Mm. Hawker was a game that was played with a bunch of erasers. Uh, from whiteboards, and we set up boards around the uh, KJ third floor uh, lunchroom, and we would play, and under the table was the goal, and you would have to kick, and it was just like uh, hockey, but there was a very uh, infamous penalty in that game. Do you yeah. remember that? It's called Gordoning. What happened when you Gordoned? <laughs> Gordoning was when you, I believe, yelled at your own teammate. That was true. Because no- you were upset with something that they did. So uh, I would, uh, I'd call not only the Gordon boys out for doing Gordoning, but anybody who yelled at a teammate and was rude to a fellow teammate or another player uh, got two minutes for Gordoning. And that, I, I, 
you know, looking back on that, it sounds ridiculous. And most people would actually be embarrassed about that. Yeah. Um, I'm not because I am, I actually really appreciate what I learned from that, what I have learned from that, um, and all those things. It's, it's another good lesson. And what it took was, you know, something that I think I took too seriously and certainly lost my own ability, uh, to, to see the best in people in that moment. And, uh, you certainly helped shape me. I'm moving in the correct direction. I'm wondering now as I think about it whether it was an educationally sound <laughs> thing to call you out for, you know, and your brother out for Gordoning. I think I thought you could handle it. I was going to say, I think that one of the things that I've learned over time, uh, I've never been a teacher, but as a student and having been punished many, 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 many times, um, is that Every one of the most important things, and this is something again I've learned a lot um, from my mentors at Yeshiva. Is it, it's, they call it the official word is emotional intelligence. You ever read that book? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think that's what it's about. It's about knowing who you are, knowing what the environment is, and knowing who you're interacting with. And sometimes you, know, you need to be stronger. Sometimes you need to be softer. Calling the penalty Schwartz or uh, you know something else maybe not have uh, have have had that impact. But certainly uh, I felt very uh, comfortable with that and and happy that that was the way. Uh, you handled it because I think it shaped uh, – seriously, that actually right. shaped a lot of who and what I am uh, today. Can I tell you, that reminds – as I'm thinking about it, we're talking about lessons you learn from sports. So I always think that some of that, like, doggedness and aggressiveness and energy that you had that I called you out for at that time because you were holding other people – you were just, like, very intense and you wanted to win and you just – you expected other people to be as excellent as you were expecting of yourself. That's a trait that, when turned positive, is incredibly – just productive and, and constructive. So, I, I mean, I know that sounds cliche, and that's like uh, the Gemara talks about a murderer should do shchita and all that. Like, but I think that is very true. It's the Gemara ten- actually talks about that. Yeah, someone who's got murderous ten- tendencies really? should be a, a shochet. No, but like, I think you you just had all those character traits, and I think pe- so many people have those. And people sometimes educators can mistakenly view them as negative rather than powerful. And they could be powerful in a negative way. They could be powerful in a very positive way. And I think that that's the kind of thing that a lot of people who really, just as you mature and you, you know, you become a, a young adult and you decide really what you want to give to the world, that's taking those traits and, and using them in a positive way. I think that that plays right off of what we were discussing earlier, and that is playing to your strengths. Right. And you have to identify those strengths. Um, not be embarrassed of them. They may not be the same as what you thought they were going to be. That's true. But as people, we have to recognize them, acknowledge them, and then play to them um, instead of, you know, I think there is, I don't know which one of the leadership books, I have like a thousand of them at my desk, but one of them talks about that all too often, what you said before, that people try to avoid their weaknesses, mm-hmm. but instead, just do what you're good at. You can make up for that. You can hire different people around you. You can surround yourself with different people. So if you have strong business acumen, but you're running um, a technology company, so you run the, the, the business side and you can hire somebody who's more technologically savvy to do that side. And I certainly think that's something that uh, that we all need to work on. Yeah. In, my, in school, that shall have it. And I'm, you know, I've done that in other times and other places when I worked at Barron. I was always trying to build a team around me of incredibly talented people, but who were complementary to my skill set. So I'm a I'm a dreamer. I love to come up with big ideas. I love to I move forward at 150 miles an hour. Sometimes, you know, Ira Mitzner used to joke that I would like some people would like stick their toe into the pool and decide if they wanted to get in or not. It would take them weeks. I Ari Siegel would just like jump into the pool, not sure if there was water in there or not. Just jump in and we'll figure out what's next. Um, so you know, and I think that has tremendous benefit and. It mobilizes people and it gives people a vision, but you also need people who are implementers, who are very practical, who are, you know, who, who can kind of see the details that need to get done. I think I've improved over time in those areas, but, um, but at the end of the day, 
I think it's about you know surrounding yourself with those people um, and, and and that's from me as a supervisor if you're someone working on a team and working for someone else I think that's also part of it is finding out where you can play a role where you bring your strength to a broader team and filling needs rather than having duplicate people you know and just so to I guess when I build teams that's what I'm looking for I have great people right now in, in Los Angeles who are just incredibly talented and, and and kind of fill roles within the school and if we're honest we all can't be good at everything so, Correct. So, so, except so, for you, you've won every competition. Except I have never won the three-on-three tournament here at uh, Champions Gate. This is my third, and I have never won the uh, the the challenge competition, which uh, you, I believe, uh, successfully. I, I think I won the first one. I think you won the first one. The second one, you actually taught me a very important lesson. What did I teach you? You, I mean, among the many important things you taught me in my life, it's about the challenge competition. I was going to wait to um, to get to this, but I'm just going to uh, get to it right now, and that is this. <laughs> When you, the way the challenge competition works uh-huh. is that you sign up for ingredients beforehand. Is that correct? That is. That's the way they started doing it now, I think. That, that's was that do, always the way it was? Yeah, you get beans and barley, oh, right. you get all the staples, but you can add the extra. Right. So the last time that this conference was in the other hotel, in the Champions Gate Hotel, you and I believe it was Mrs. Diner made Elena a Diner was the... Elena lead. Diner made a challenge. Correct. And do you remember the ingredients that you ordered for that challenge? Yeah, I wanted special hot dogs. Abel's and Heyman, the, the spicy... Uh, hot dogs, and they didn't have them, right? They That's gave me correct. something and else. And you also got corned beef. Yeah, something. I wanted... You yeah. wanted corned beef. So, so what I remembered about the corned beef was that you specifically thought of the corned beef, but what happened? I saw the corned beef. I'm like, That's genius. I took some of the corned beef. Is that true? I mean, that's what happens every year. So this year... I'm going to let it out because nobody that's in the competition tomorrow will, ha- will stand a chance of getting my ingredients. Um, my big secret ingredient is actually pearl onions, those sweet little onions. Oh, that's a cute idea. So everyone's going to try to get their hands on those tomorrow, but I will hold the entire bag and I will ask them to see their sign-up sheet tomorrow. And if they didn't sign up for pearl onions... Are they raw pearl onions and then you cut them up or you buy them from the can? No, 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 no. I'm talking about the raw ones that okay. are tiny. You drop them in the chillin'. I actually... There's a person in, in L.A. He's a rabbi of one of the other schools. His name is Rabbi Suffren. I like him a lot. He makes a great chillin'. He uses canned potatoes. I was shocked. Stunned. Really? Yeah. I mean, Rabbi Suffren. <laughs> it's actually quite delicious. He, he makes a good challenge. It's not as good as mine, but... Or as mine, obviously. Yeah. But have we ever gone head-to-head? Did yeah. Do you, you lost... That year. We both lost that year. Oh, that... We got robbed. I mean, I've gotten robbed. There's actually a big change. I want to make that announcement on the air, live here on the Nachum Seal this Network. Is... There is a big change. Breaking news is flashing across the screen. The big change is that the... Um, the the competition this year will, for the first time, the challenge will not be identified by location. That's very smart. Because first of all, nobody likes anybody from New York at conferences like. Whose this. idea was that? Yours? You're going to take credit for it. Also, I work with someone who's that just like idea. you. By the way. By the way, that was <laughs> that was my idea. I know. I only take credit for the brilliant ideas that are mine. They happen to happen very often. That was one of them. That was one of them. <laughs> Again, I work with someone just like you who like. Whatever. And putting together, by the way, the the the, the, the three on three team. Yeah. Um, this year, redemption is coming. So I I'm I'm going to put my confidence on national radio, internet radio. I'm going to say this year I'm taking both. Chalent, Chalent you, and three you're doing the double double. I'm doing the double double. Little Kevin Love action. A little a, a little Kevin, nice. A little Kevin Love action. Um, I know you're who did you did you get a third yet for your I squad? I did. I believe we did. Is it the Big man. Big man. Ben Yosher. I got I to gotta strategize how we're going to match up with you. Um, but if I have to take out Hoffer's knees, I'll do what I got to do. You know? Um, but uh, but anyway, so, so again, we are live here from the 8th uh, Annual Yeshiva University Champions Gate Leadership Conference. Um, it is a conference where I think one of the things that I try to do on this show, which we've been doing, which I want to continue doing at least for the next um, few minutes, is I really learn um, 
it's from the sometimes outside of the sessions that you learn the most, mm-hmm. right? It's like, what do you learn in that conversation in the hallway about how somebody did something? Some, right. Sometimes you hear something in the session that, that strikes you. That's what the sessions are there for. But maybe it's how they presented, not what they presented, or, or how the things were run, or what the little things that are done within the, within the conference as a whole that, that I try to take back to my work. Interesting. So you're asking me or you're saying about yourself? No, I'm saying I think it's in the margins. I think that's what we all have to do is, is find those benefits because if you come here, so obviously you're going to learn a lot about um, the philosophy of suffering. Is that what they're learning? To, is that what they're That's doing? what my brother's lecturing about tomorrow. If I, so, so, but maybe there's going to be something about how the two panelists work together. Maybe oh, that's there's going to be something about the, 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 the presentation or something that they say, Derek Agav, kind of off the cuff, and, the, and, and yet that strikes you. And I think that's something that, that, that's another life lesson that's just take what you can learn as they come in the margins within the larger the larger scope of things. I also think there's so much networking that goes on here. You can't, I mean, it's just – and that what that happened at my MBA program. So much of what I learned was outside of the classroom. And again, these things sound like cliches, but they're just true. What you do here at Champions Gate, you go to sessions. It's amazing. The tefillah, the davening, the group, communal davening, you have – I don't know how many people come to Champions Gate, but everyone's singing at once, davening together. And then you have Shim Kramer, the chazan from RJC. I don't know if you've ever heard him before. He's inc- Oh, you have, of course. He's I incredible. I in the RJC. I forgot. I forgot. I listen to him show off with his falsetto every single oh. Friday night. All right. Yeah, there is a little arrogance there. but It's he's not arrogance, inc- dude. It's not, what is it, confidence? You know what we were talking about before? It's playing to your strengths. Yeah, that falsetto is his strength. I said, he. by the way, he's a hedgehog. He has that voice, and he plays it for what it's worth. By he the way, Shim Kramer is sitting right next to us. Why would you uh, say that? Why but, would you just let it go? No, no, no. No. <laughs> no, but that is, there are so many things that happen outside of the just the sessions and the speeches that I am telling you, for me, I walked. I have walked out of Champion Gate, Champions Gate conferences Having met two or three new people who are, you know, dealing with similar struggles that I'm dealing with in my community, or just a tefillah that was inspiring, and it's hard. You go back to your daily grind, and to take back a little bit of that, to just hear, just feel that, and see that, and you know, feel the energy. Those kinds of things to be sensitive to it uh, during the conference, or it's it's really that's what gives it so much benefit. I think. And there's one thing about the conference that I know you know, you both as a youth director and also in all of your positions um, within formal education have. It, have tried to impart, I think it's spirit, the challenge, the way to articulate it is spirituality and ruach into young children's lives and mm-hmm. into teenagers' lives. And the, for me, this is my third Champions Gate, the most inspiring time of Champions Gate. Um, and what I'm trying to figure out, maybe you could help me, is what is it about these moments? The moment is Shalashidis. Mm-hmm. You go to Shalashidis to Champions Gate. Everyone sits around in a little circle, and literally, grown adults from 20 to 30 to 40, 50, 60, ages not a barrier, are sitting with their arms around each other, crying, singing as if they were 14 and 15 and 16 in a camp or whatever it is. So that's certainly, I mean, I haven't figured out what it is. What is that magic that, that enables people? Is it that, that after three days they're comfortable enough to just be themselves? Um, which is certainly a challenge we face with the high school students. Is, uh, I was always the crier during the, during the contest, I, you probably remember some of those. Uh, like always, the crier was the one who was inspired, but certainly embarrassed. And here, it's inspiring to see, you know, Fortune insert the number of CEOs here who 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 have amazingly successful careers and yet are not embarrassed to embrace who they are and what it is in, inside. You know, I think this just taps into so much. So all of us, there isn't anybody, and I guess Aaron talked about philosophy a little bit, but there isn't anyone in this world who isn't searching for a sense of purpose and meaning, period. We're all busy. We all want to be successful in our careers. We all want to make a difference. At the end of the day, 
if you have a sense, you feel like you have a sense of purpose and meaning in your life, and I think this goes for older people, younger people, you know, parents, children, grand, everybody wants to have a sense that they make a difference, they matter, they have purpose, they have meaning. We're looking for that. And I think this conference and Shabbatot where you're with lots of other people taps into that. Like, the life is lonely. And when you get together with a group of like-minded people who are passionate and care about something, whether that's in camp or on a Shabbaton or at a program like Champions Gate, that moment where it culminates, where there's this intensity and this sort of buildup of sense of purpose and a sense of meaning and a sense of mattering, I think it manifests and, and comes to a you know climax at Shalashudas. And, and, and did you ever read the book, Man's Search for Meaning? Uh, yes. So I think that, I mean, that, I, I read it like a year and a half ago and it really shaped a lot of why I think I do what I do. I think he able to, so I work a certain way and I push myself because I find meaning in those things. Right. And I think so you could take it even one step further and that is to say everybody is searching for that meaning, but that meaning sustains them. So it, it, it's, it's a, it's a cycle. You, you search for it and when you find it, it sustains you and it's what, Propels you to continue on. Obviously, in the extreme circumstances that uh, that you know that Victor Frankl spoke about. But yeah. more than that, even in day to day life, so you find something that means something to you, you take it with you, and you go um, on. And the, I, th- I think the challenge, the question for all of us, and I, I put this out there as a question to you or everybody out there, is how do we do that? How do we find that meaning in our day to day life? Because I don't believe um, that we were put on this earth to go through the motions of. Making a living is important and, and, and doing all those things, but I don't think that going through the motions of those things is what we're here to do. It's part of what we're here to do. And how do we fill in the rest? It's easy to go and to finish a law brief, a case, uh, finish a surgery, finish seeing a patient, whatever it is. It's harder to fill in those gaps with, with whole thing, you know, and, and, and infusing our lives with it. Yeah. I often, whenever I speak to parents and kids, I'm always saying, like, life can't be about Trying to get the best, you know, get into a great high school so you can get a great, great SAT score, so you can get a good score in your AP, so you can get into a good college, so you can get into a good graduate school, then you can get a good job with a great letterhead, that you can get a good paycheck, that you can then afford to, you know, go on nice trips, and then you can also send your, your kids to a great school to get into a great thing, to score high on the SATs. Like, that's just a rat race. That cannot be the sum totality of life. Um, it, that that is part of what we we do. We're just human beings, and we and we have to go through life, and we do it the best way we can. But I think you're right. At the end of the day, it's finding something meaningful. That could be, and 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 we go back to playing to your strengths. For some people, finding something meaningful is on a grand scale and having a profound impact on the world. And for some people, it's just being nice and just you know living a, a modest, happy life and being having a great time with your kids or your spouse or your friends. Um, and I, you know, I think for each of us, and obviously we're on a Jewish show. For some people, that's Torah and mitzvot, and how you manifest yourself in that. And so, yeah, I, I, it's it's the bigger, it's the big bad question of the world. What's our purpose here? Certainly, um, there's a, that's a. Just reminds me, and I, that was a great, great point. Very serious, but it reminds me of a great Rick Riley article. You know, Rick Riley used to be on the back of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. So he, he once wrote an article where his son, he was laying in Central Park, and his son turned to him and said, "Dad, why are we here?" Mm. And he listed all the great moments in sports and said, we're here because X, Y, and Z. And then, and then at the end, after we're here to see Elway run a two-minute trail, we're here mm-hmm. to see, uh, you know, whatever it was, Jordan hit the game winner, and then the kid turns to, to Rick Riley's kid turns to him at the end of the article and says, Dad, no, why are we here? Mom told us to pick her up 20 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> but, but I think that's both, that's both true. And so, so, so that brings it to like, we have a purpose here to go through the motions. The motions are not, we can't downplay the motions. Right. We can't just sit there and say, why am I here and, and deal with the metaphysics only of life. Um, but rather you need to teach the metaphysics because that is the, uh, 
the practical part of it. So, uh, again, you've been listening to the Stunt Show in the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm joined by uh, Rabbi Ari Siegel, um, a friend, mentor, and role model of mine. Um, and you are currently uh, out in Los Angeles, California, as we mentioned. Um, what is that like? Just in, you know, LA, I think, gets a bad rap, but how do you find meaning in Los Angeles, California? I do. I actually expected something totally different when I went out to Los Angeles initially. Um, we were in Houston for seven years, and there's just this incredibly warm communal feeling that I think anyone who's been in a small, mid-sized, small community, whether it's you know Dallas or Denver or Silver Spring before it became huge, um, you just there's a warmth and a intimacy and a love and a support. And we went out to Los Angeles, not sure what we were going to be looking at. Um, and I kind of had a sense that it was going to be, I don't know, not to insult New York. I lived in Manhattan for many, many years, but it's a very intense place that um, can be cold at times, uh, although we had some very good friends there. I thought Los Angeles was just going to be the same thing, but on the West Coast, and I haven't found it to be that way. Um, the community that I'm a part of, uh, that whole kind of Beverlywood area, is very warm, very caring, very loving. Shall have it, the, the community, the school community is incredibly genuine and supportive and caring. Um, I just spent Shabbat in Hancock Park at the Yavna uh, Shul. It's a shul that Rabbi Einhorn, who moved from the, I don't know, West Side Jewish West Side, yeah. um, Institute, uh, and he's taken over that shul, and there's a renewed vibrancy there that he's brought there. Um, I was just the scholar in residence. Um, and it's just great. I mean, you meet Jews from all walks of life. People are, it's pretty neat. You're talking about, you know, I don't know, being downstairs at Shalashudas and hearing a CEO of Fortune whatever company singing. And I don't know, you meet like the guy who wrote, you know, Men in Black. Oh, he davened. Oh, that's him. He's davening. He's like a normal guy. Oh, the guy who wrote Shrek. Oh, the guy who's the agent for Harry Potter. Like, oh, those guys are then they're learning Torah and they're like normal. And they're, that's just amazing. Um, so it's using the meaning into their lives. Yeah. I, and I will not complain about the food. Oh, I mean, the food's amazing. I'm actually traveling directly from Champions Gate. I'm on Sunday morning to L.A., and I already have my whole meal planned out. We're going to go to Meshuggah for sushi. We're going to go to uh, we're going to go to Jeff's. That's wise. Do you know what you're getting at Jeff's? Uh, depends how much my wife lets me order. Oh, my Let's gosh. we got to talk. There's we, so we many. Definitely, offline. Yeah. Offline. We, we don't want to bore the listeners. We, but. Um, are you going up to the winery in Oxnard? Uh, we are. We're having dinner in, the Ox- in Oxnard. We had lunch last time. We're having dinner there. Absolutely incredible. Because you told me to stay at home with sweets, and I that's did. what I'm saying. I did. Ari Siegel, my, my friend, mentor. Uh, thank you so and much. And travel planner. And travel planner. Thank you so much for joining me. Mm-hmm. Um, in keeping with uh, tradition, even all the way here from Orlando, Florida, uh, we will be uh, – this month's country song um, is Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw. So, mm-hmm. as always, if you can, stop what you're doing and pause for four minutes and 59 seconds. Take it all in, and uh, as always, I will react afterwards. Said I was in my early forties with a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays and talking about the options and talking about sweet time. I asked him when it sank in that this might really be the real end How's it hit you When you get that kind of news Man, what you do And he said 
That was Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw. Um, I think more often than not, it takes a wake-up call for each of us to appreciate what we have um, and to live as we should. Shouldn't we all aspire to be the husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandchildren, friends and colleagues that most of the time we aren't? 
Do we really need to wait for something bad to happen, God forbid, before we wake up and realize that there is so much we have to offer and so much we can do in this world? While I have never thanked God had a singular moment that inspired me to live like I was dying, I do realize that our days are numbered. And our job is not only to count those days, but to make those days count. We wake up each morning and thank God for putting his faith in us and giving us one more day on this earth. So for the rest of tonight, and as long as we can make it last, let's live those days in the way that he wants us to. Let's live not only like we were dying, but let's live like we should be living. So you have been listening to a very special edition of The Stunt Show on the Nachum Siegel Network, live from Yeshiva University's 8th Annual Champions Gate Leadership Conference. I am Daniel Gordon, and as always, we thank you for making us a part of your evening, week, and month. Coming up next, it's the Book of Life with Charlie Harari. And tomorrow morning, join Nachum for a very special live uh, edition of JM in the AM from 6 to 9 a.m. as he hosts live here on, on NachumSiegel.com and on 91.1 FM from Yeshiva University's 8th Annual Champions Gate Leadership Conference. In addition, from 9 to 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, there will be a live stunt show with Mark Zomik, which will, be, which will be rebroadcast and encore next Thursday night from 8 to 9 p.m. during this very slot. Uh, this show will be rebroadcast Sunday morning at 9 a.m. on the Nachum Siegel Network here at NachumSiegel.com. Thanks once again to, to Rabbi Ari Siegel and Rabbi Dr. Aaron Siegel for joining me this evening. In case you forgot, tonight's country song was Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw. Once again, I welcome your honest feedback and comments at DanielNachumSiegel.com. I hope you have gained something from this hour, and I hope that this show will gain its inspiration and content from you, the listeners. As always, I close with my favorite quote from the late, great Jimmy Valvano, basketball coach and founder of the V Foundation for Cancer Research. Coach V said, there are three things we all should do every day. Number one is laugh. Number two is think. And number three is have your emotions move to tears. It could be happiness or joy. But think about it. If you laugh, you think, and you cry, that's a full day. That's a heck of a day. You do that seven days a week, you're going to have something special. That's how I try to live my life, and I hope this hour has been as special for you as it's been for me. Stay tuned for the Book of Life with Charlie Harari. See you next month. Goodbye. <laughs>